Let's turn together to Genesis 22. Verses 1 through 19. May God bless his word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place The Lord will provide, 
as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. the reading of God's holy word. Well, of course, this is a very much-loved story. It is a gospel story. It's also um, one that's very shocking. You know, we're so familiar with it, maybe we miss the shocking uh, aspect of it. This is a very shocking test that the Lord put Abraham to. It's a horrific thing. That Abraham is called to do here with his own son. Obviously, it is horrible. And we shouldn't try to soften that. If we do, we can never really appreciate what God does in this story. And more importantly, what he did himself for us through his own son. This is the test for Abraham. This is the supreme test of his faith. He's had many others. We've seen them uh, over and over. He's had his faith tested in different ways. Sometimes he's stood the test very well. Other times, not so well. But this is the test, the ultimate test. In this passage, we see where Abraham's heart really is. We also learn something about God's heart. In verses 1 through 2, we see God's command to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering. And we're told in verse 1 that this is a, a test. God tested Abraham. This is a test of his faith. The question is, will Abraham trust the Lord and obey him? Even when the stakes are so high, even when the cost is so great. Now, God had shown himself to be faithful to Abraham, totally faithful over the years. The only failure had been in Abraham's faith at times, but uh, there was no failure in God's faithfulness. But Abraham's faith is going to be stretched this time, stretched to the limit. This is quite a test. You know, God tests all his children. 
He tests us. He tests our faith. I'd almost like to send out a survey to, to, to all of you, to the whole church, and just ask, how has God tested your faith? It'd be really interesting. We probably all have some pretty, uh, pretty serious stories to tell. If you don't yet, you will. The Lord tests his people. But we know why he does this. He does it to grow our faith. He does it to stretch our faith, to exercise our faith. When your faith is exercised, when it's stretched to the limit and beyond its limits, through trials, through testings, that's when growth happens. And really, that's, I think, the only way that growth happens. We have to be tested. Our faith has to be exercised. It's like physical exercise. If you want to get stronger, if you want to uh, improve your uh, speed in running or your endurance or whatever the case may be, then you need to exercise. And it's the same with faith. As you trust God through your tests and trials that he brings into your life, your faith will grow. It'll grow stronger. It'll grow deeper. But we have to go through the tests. So don't be surprised when the tests and trials come. But when they do come, know that God has a good purpose. And keep trusting him no matter what. His purposes are always good. And again, he is always entirely faithful, worthy of our trust. Keep trusting him. Well, it must have been shocking, shocking beyond uh, comprehension for Abraham to hear this call that God uh, gave to him. Bewildering when he heard this command. In light of everything that God had said previously, all God's, God's wonderful promises to give this boy, Isaac, to Abraham and Sarah, and to bring his covenant blessings through that child, Abraham must have thought, what? Why? Lord, why are you calling me to do this? Not everything's recorded in Scripture. We're not told what Abraham thought of this. Isaac was Abraham's only son at this point. We're told that here. We know that he wasn't literally his only son, Ishmael, but Ishmael's gone. Ishmael's long gone. Abraham, this is his only child now. And he loves him deeply. He loves Isaac and Again, all the promises of, of God's covenant were focused in on this boy, and Abraham knew that full well. All Abraham's hopes and expectations were tied to this boy. Everything is going to come through this child. And so it must have seemed like such a hard word to hear, a hard command for Abraham. We don't know how old Isaac was at this point. 
could have been still a fairly little guy. The word is na'ar. He's called a na'ar. He's a lad. And there's some range to that. He could have been uh, a child or he could be a young adult, a young unmarried adult. Um, we're just not sure. But in any case, Abraham, think about it, he's had time with this boy. Even at the youngest He's had a number of years with this boy and he's grown, no doubt, very fond of him. He loves him. We know he loved Ishmael. He was very fond of Ishmael. He wanted the Lord to just bring his promises to pass through Ishmael. And he was heartbroken when he had to send Ishmael away. And now here with Isaac, the bond had to be even stronger. But now he's called sacrifice him. It was a burnt offering, no less. What a horrifying thought that is. It really is. This isn't just killing your son, which would be bad enough. But think about burnt offerings and what had to happen in order to offer an animal sacrifice. It meant, of course, taking the life of that creature slitting its throat, letting it bleed until the blood was drained from the body. Then came the dismemberment, cutting the body in pieces, finally arranging them on the altar and burning them, burning them with fire until they're completely consumed. Those thoughts must have rushed into Abraham's mind. That's exactly what the Lord was calling him to do. He was familiar with these kinds of sacrifices, and he was, would have been familiar with human sacrifices. That was something that was practiced in the land of Ur, where he grew up, and it was something that was practiced in the Canaanite culture as well. And even child sacrifice at times, which was just a very repulsive thing. God was asking Abraham to do that. Something that was totally contrary to all Abraham's desires, his senses, to his affections for this child. And it seemed contrary to God's promises, of course. As we hear these, these words of God coming to Abraham, calling him to do this, we can't help thinking of Luke 14 and Jesus' words there. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The Lord's not literally calling us to hate our loved ones. But in comparison to the love that we are to have for the Lord and the devotion that we are to have for him, that's the kind of contrast there should be. That's the kind of a wholehearted love and devotion to God that he wants from us. 
our love for our, uh, our closest loved ones should not even compare to our love for the Lord. We are to love him above all others. And he is worthy of that, more than worthy of that kind of love. Well, we see Abraham's response in verse 3, and it's kind of amazing. He responds with very prompt obedience. We're told he rose early in the morning and got going. He saddled his donkey, took two of his young men and Isaac, cut the wood for the burnt offering, and they went. They went to the place that God told them to go to. Immediate obedience. No hesitation. Didn't drag his feet at all. That's amazing. Sarah's not mentioned here. I wonder what Sarah would have been thinking. I wonder if she was in agreement with this. I I wonder how that would have affected their marriage if she was not in agreement with it. Yet Abraham doesn't hesitate. By the way, nowhere else in Scripture, of course, does God call for human sacrifice. In fact, he forbids it later in the law of Moses. But here, to test Abraham's faith, God calls him to do this. And it's not just about testing Abraham, of course. In that instant, it was, but it also shows us a preview of the gospel. And God would sacrifice his own son. And that is ultimately how God would bring his covenant promises to fulfillment. Through Isaac, but ultimately through the true seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lord gave him as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. What a costly sacrifice that was, far more costly than this one would have been. But it was also absolutely necessary because of God's perfect justice, his need to punish sin, and his love for his chosen people. He punished sin in the person of his own son so that he could spare us. Now, when they reach this place, Abraham says to his servants, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and we'll come to you again. Notice what Abraham said here. He says, we will go worship and come back to you. We'll go and we'll come back. Abraham is living by faith here already. He believed he was coming back with Isaac alive. The writer of the Hebrews, uh, book of Hebrews, explains this in chapter 11, 17 to 19. He says, He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son 
And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So it seems Abraham, Abraham was fully intending to go and kill his son, to go and slay his son, cut him up, and burn him up. And he expected God to raise him up from the dead. That's Abraham's faith at this point. And sometimes his faith seems non-existent. Other times it's just, it looks just completely rock solid, supernatural, and that's how it appears here. He just firmly believes God's promise so much that he's convinced God's going to raise him from the dead. If I'm going to kill him, God's going to have to raise him up. And he's just trusting God to do that. He remembered God's promises. He knew God was able to raise the dead. He knew he was faithful to keep his promises. But Isaac had to be alive for that to happen. So Abraham figured, well, he's going to have to raise him up. How's that for trusting God? That is some serious trust. Abraham believed in the resurrection before there ever was a resurrection. Well, the hill was too steep for the donkey, and so Abraham took the wood for the offering and uh, laid it on Isaac's back, and they continued on up the hill. What a picture that is. The only son with this load of wood on his back. Of course, 2,000 years later, another only son would have a heavy load of wood piled on his back. God's son would carry his own cross on the way to his crucifixion. In verse 7, Isaac seems to wake up. Uh, he says, Father, okay, here's the fire and here's the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Apparently, he didn't know yet that he was to be the sacrifice. And Abraham's answer was a, was a great expression of trust in God. Again, great trust in the Lord. He said, my son, God himself will provide the lamb. So Abraham might have been hoping, hoping that God would... Uh, would relent from what he'd called him to do, hoping that he'd provide a substitute. But he's fully ready to carry out what God said for him to do, to slay Isaac, and then to look to God for a resurrection. But one thing is certain. Abraham's words here are words of faith. He doesn't know how God is going to pull this off, got some ideas about what God might do, but he knows that God will do what he will do. 
He knows that God knows what he's doing. And he needed to trust him to provide according to his perfect wisdom. Calvin writes, this example is for our imitation. In such straits, the only remedy is to leave the event to God so that he may open a way for us where there is none. We pay him the highest honor when in perplexing affairs we nevertheless entirely submit ourselves to his providence. I love that. In perplexing affairs, we nevertheless entirely submit ourselves to his providence. Sometimes we wear ourselves out trying to figure out why God is allowing this or that into our lives and how he's going to work it out We're far better off just trusting in his perfect wisdom, in his perfect providence, in his perfect ways. Just let God be God. Leave it to him. He will make a way. It might not be our way. It will be the best way. It will be his way. And, of course, Abraham's answer here to Isaac was prophetic. He says, God himself will provide the lamb. Prophetic, he's pointing to Jesus. Probably had no idea what he was saying prophetically, but he's pointing to the Christ who was to come, the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And God has provided that lamb. The Apostle John says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the world. That is the lamb of God that God has provided. Verses 9 through 11, then they reached the place. They, they got there. Abraham builds the altar, we're told, and lays the wood in order. And then he bound Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So at some point, Abraham must have told, Abraham, uh, told Isaac that he was the sacrifice. And Isaac submitted seems to have willingly submitted. Given Abraham's age, even if Isaac was quite young, on the younger side of a lad, he had to have submitted to this willingly. I can't imagine old Abraham would have been able to wrestle him into that spot. Isaac decided to obey his father whatever the cost. Speculation, but I imagine Abraham probably shared his faith with Isaac and encouraged Isaac to trust the Lord too. 
Trust the Lord even for his resurrection. Well, then the moment of truth arrived and Abraham reached for the blade and he's about to make the cut that would take Isaac's life. Now we see the faith of this man. He's really about to do it. He's about to let all the blood run out of his son's body because God called him to do it. We see the faith of this man here. This is a living, working faith. That's how James describes faith. He even uses this story of Abraham and Isaac in that well-known passage where he talks about faith without works being dead. He writes in James 2, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham Abraham, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So what James is saying there is that faith is not just a mental exercise. True faith becomes action. Faith is trust that we then act upon in obedience. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He put that knife to his son's throat, and he was ready to do it. He trusted God, and he was showing it by obeying God. And at that very moment, just before he did it, God intervened. We're told the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then we're told Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was the ram. Abraham took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And he called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Because the Lord had provided. And as that ram was offered up on the altar, Abraham and his son worshipped. They must have worshipped with all their might. They must have praised God and thanked him for providing. They had learned that this God... The God who tests 
He's also the God who provides. And we need to know that too. Especially when we're going through those tests. The Lord will test you. But you need to remember that he will also provide. He will provide just what you are in need of. Just what his wisdom sees the need for. He may deliver you from that test, and that trial, or he may give you grace to endure it. His grace will be sufficient if that is the case. But you can be sure that he will provide a good outcome as well. Maybe one that you can't even foresee. But you can believe it. That is the kind of God that we see here in Scripture, and he never changes. Abraham joyfully called that place, the Lord will provide. What a great name for a place. That's exactly what Abraham said as he and Isaac uh, arrived there, and as they walked toward that place of sacrifice. He said, the Lord will provide. Abraham was trusting God then to provide, and God showed himself to be faithful. Abraham's part was to trust the Lord. God's part was to provide. It's the same for us. When you're tested, simply trust in the Lord. Keep trusting him, and he will provide in a way that is best. We need to stop here, but we need to remember this. As dramatic as this story is, this beloved story, seeing this beloved child on that altar about to be slain, but then he's spared. Again, the real story came later. The real drama occurred later on Mount Calvary. But there was no intervention then to spare the only son of God. There was no last-minute reprieve, no angel crying out from heaven, no substitute for God's son. Jesus is the substitute that God had provided. And he was slain under God's wrath, bearing it. The wrath that we deserved, bearing our sin, so that we might live under the Lord's grace. He dies so that you may live, believer. He is God's substitute for all who will believe in him. Horatius Bonar wrote, Upon a life I did not live, and upon a death I did not die, another's life and another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Let us stake our eternity on Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for sinners. Trust in him, people. 
and trust in the great love of the Father who provided him to die instead of you under his wrath. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we see the the wonder of your plan of redemption. It is wonderful. And the lamb that you provided is such a wonderful savior. And this is this is the truth of our salvation. We thank you, Lord, for giving your son, your only son, over to death, over to death on the cross, bearing your wrath. Not just physical death, but an eternal death that he endured for us. Help us, Lord, to trust in him always and to praise you for the way that you've provided this great Savior and to worship you all our days with joy and with thanksgiving. Lord, and we pray that we would never be ashamed to tell others of this great Savior and this great sacrifice that he has made for us and of your great love that designed it all. We praise you, Lord. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.